like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil, and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. I'm so glad you've tuned into Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'll be speaking with Dr. Laura Delimpio about philosophy for children. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I studied philosophy at the University of Western Australia, and I did all of my studies there, actually. My undergraduate majors were in English literature and philosophy, and then I went on to do honours and PhD in philosophy. And so I combined two. My PhD thesis was on the moral possibilities of mass art. So I was really interested in how especially Hollywood blockbuster films impacted on huge audiences, particularly in conveying moral messages. And so this ideas from this thesis became the content of my first book, Media and Moral Education. Um, so I'm very interested in aesthetics and ethics um, and also interested in how philosophy could help lots of people. So, you know, taking it out of the ivory tower, if you like, which connects to my interest in philosophy and education uh, and aesthetic education as well. So an example of this, I think um, films have such a big impact. They're seen by almost everybody. It's a, a common canon, a common language that we speak to, and increasingly these days, TV series as well. And there's lots of interesting sort of social, political and ethical issues that are explored through this accessible medium. Um, And sometimes films even shape and change our attitude. So I think one example of this is the 1993 film Philadelphia starring Tom Hanks, where there was a really important role played in educating the mainstream audience about AIDS, HIV, discrimination, and actually creating sympathy for a character that previously this category of people hadn't been seen as sympathetic and there'd been a lot of, you know, discrimination against particularly gay men in the 80s and 90s. And this story just showed a different side and made, you know, a wide audience suddenly see things in a different way. And so I think that the influence of film is huge, but it could be, you know, for good or maybe not so good. It could it can reinforce stereotypes and sexist and racist tropes as well. So the, the link then to education is, is significant for me. So what was it that inspired you to study philosophy for children? So when I was looking at the influence of these films on these wide audiences, we've just given an example where a film might educate a wide audience, but there are lots and lots of films that reinforce rather narrow uh, stereotypes and restrict our understanding of, you know, what we could be like. So, you know, the the images of and the roles for women in in particular, for example, were always very narrow, sort of, you know, you're the sidekick or the, you know, the love interest and you're not central to the plot and the action. And this is starting to change, but I thought, well, how can we encourage viewers to be quite critical and sort of start to demand, you know, more interesting and uh, wider wider storylines? And I realised that 
if they're already adults, it might be a bit too late. We need to start earlier. We need to start young. And so I thought, actually, we need to ensure that our young people are equipped with these critical reflective thinking skills so that they can challenge what they're seeing and start to be a, a more educated or critically engaged audience and demand you know, better quality narratives so that they can start to have more depictions of you know, femininity or masculinity or the different roles we can play in society, what relationships look like. And so I ended up, when I was doing my PhD, finding philosophy for children and starting to get involved with, actually I started with our literacy and drama clubs and bringing philosophy into the mix there. Again, combining aesthetics and um, philosophy. And, you know, narratives is just such a great jumping off point because they're so accessible. They're something that kids already are really interested in and they're engaged and excited by and starting to draw out those big questions from the narratives um, and the kids' own questions and using that to generate a, a dialogue with them. In which way does philosophy help children with areas of their education? So I think that... Philosophy for children can be used in, in lots of different ways. And there's some different approaches to sort of trying to measure what the effects of it are. There are some empirical studies that have been done that suggest teaching kids philosophy helps them with their test scores across the board, particularly with literacy and numeracy. Um, but a lot of advocates of philosophy for children are more interested in the idea of the dialogue being intrinsically valuable, so enjoyable and important for its own sake. So there's more of a holistic approach. So the idea that it's the social skills of, you know, not just the intellectual skills of critical thinking, but also of caring, compassionate engagement of a dialogue that encourages people to really listen, respond to one another, to build on one another's ideas, not just tear them down, and to have a dialogue that even if you disagree, you can continue the conversation. And I think that that's so important, particularly these days when we're seeing this increased polarisation of political views where people seem to think that if they disagree with someone else that they can't move forward, they can't sort of live together well, they just, you know, have an us and them attitude. So the idea that we can speak with one another disagree but still move forward in this conversation and still share space together in you know a, a, a good way is is so important so philosophy in in schools or philosophy for children started back in the 1970s so it's it's quite new really it's quite relatively recent um, started in America with Matthew Lippman and, and Margaret Sharp and they wanted to have kids be able to be critical and caring um, to be able to be citizens in a democracy because in a democracy we, we all have a say in the kinds of decisions that we're going to make, what policies are put in place, how this world is or the country is going to be run. And so we need an educated population that isn't just regurgitating what we've been told. And with so many, you know, test-focused educational classes now where there's a, there's a right answer that kids are meant to be seeking out and, and providing and then getting the tick um, or, the, or the test score that correlates to that, it, that doesn't encourage that, that original thinking where 
kids can sort of think about how to do things differently or have a chance to explore ideas that they're interested in. And so philosophy for children back then was, you know, the same kind of aim. It's trying to say, well, how can kids get to explore what they're, what they're interested in? And this allows for that creativity. Um, you know, they're already interested in certain questions, but do they get a chance to ask them or to explore them in classrooms? Maybe not so much. So I think that what it, what it helps in terms of education um, is wider than just those test scores. Um, although sometimes that's useful to sort of justify why we should include philosophy on the curriculum, but it's more that it helps you in life. It helps you to engage democratically in the world. Um, and you're faced with these ethical dilemmas, political, social questions, but there's no class that specifically deals with those uh, necessarily, especially in primary school. And so philosophy gives you this rich toolkit of how to think through those options, analyze, look at good arguments, consider the premise, you know, the assumptions that are built in to, you know, everything from the ad campaign to the TV show to the politician's speech. Um, so I think it helps you in life, not just in, in education. Yeah, just to go back to something that you said about having an engaging conversation with someone or, or a debate with someone and being able to, to walk away from that and still be friendly. I remember, you know, many years ago, people had asked me why I was vegetarian and I'd tell them and they'd really be angry with me. And it sort of changed the dynamics of, you know, relationship, you know, they were probably acquaintances, not friends afterwards. But I remember I, I spent an afternoon at, at uni and lots of, uh, you know, advertising vegetarianism. And I had so many students come up and, and we had quite heated debates, you know, they'd bring up scenarios and, and say, oh, well, you know, why be vegetarian if everybody was vegetarian tomorrow? What had happened to all the animals? And, you know, they, they were really sort of wanting answers. And after, after we'd finished the debate, they'd say, oh, that was really nice speaking to you and it was really interesting and, that you know, we'd shake hands and smile and, you know, wish each other well. And I thought, isn't that quite interesting how other, other people that I sort of knew would be quite annoyed and sort of carried that on, whereas people, uni students, who were obviously probably taught some form of philosophy one way or another, but they were able to, to take on this debate and walk away and hold no ill feelings towards it. I think that's absolutely key. The idea that at the end of the day, we actually have more in common than we do different. As human beings wanting to live a good life, no one wants to be randomly smacked in the face as they're walking down the street. We want, you know, safety and security to protect our family and our friends and our loved ones. And when we disagree about things, yes, they're very important to us. They're especially ethical ideals or religious and political ideals. They are very significant to our worldview. But it doesn't mean that we can't recognise one another as, as human beings who want to live a good life. And somewhere along the line, it feels like this commonality is being eroded. And some of that is to do with the kind of political debates that happen in public space and how the 24-hour news cycle presents this oh, and to try to find always, you know, two camps, one side of the story versus another. And I think, you know, 
the idea of the community of inquiry dialogue, which is the heart of philosophy for children, is meant to be about trying to find shared truth. And that doesn't mean that there's not going to be diversity or difference or divergence. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree, but it means that at the end of the day, we're trying to find what is good. And we have to find ways to be able to disagree respectfully or to have tolerance for when we disagree and still live well together. And I feel like, you know, this is going back to the birthplace of philosophy when, you know, in Western philosophy starts in ancient Greece, Socrates walking the streets, having conversations with people, debating them, trying to disagree and clarify concepts. It was about philosophy helping us to live the good life. And I think that for me, philosophy for children goes right back to taking philosophy into the world where hopefully it can be useful. And now I might be idealistic. I might be overstating that because we come with all that baggage. But I think, you know, your your contrast between the, the friends or the adults versus uni students reminds me of how actually children are so much better at this than adults in some ways. I mean, in some ways, you know, they have to be taught to have this dialogue, but I think that they're excited by the world. They have a sense of wonder. They have all those why questions and they're open to these kinds of conversations if they're given that space to do that um, rather than as we get older, we get much more set in our, in our ideas and our ways and our categorization of people. And so that's why I think it's so important to start philosophy at a young age. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's it's one rule I try and live by is take on new information or other people's views because sometimes you think you, you've got a certain situation all figured out, but then when you hear somebody else's point of view, sometimes I think, well, no, I didn't have it sorted out and it's okay to change my mind. And, I mean, I, I love that. I love that quote. If you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you still have one? <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, and even one of the the early quotes of, uh, you know, the, the mark of an enlightened mind is to be able to entertain these different ideas, even if you don't change your mind, even if you disagree, to consider them. Try to, so to try and understand where other people are coming from, you know, it's not a threat to you if your ideas are solid you don't have to be worried about trying to understand where other people are coming from. You know, that's, I think, so important, this idea of engaging with multiple perspectives in both a critical and compassionate way. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's as you say, it's okay to be intellectually humble, to change your mind, you know, in the light of new evidence. That's the whole scientific method is based on that. Um, but also we don't have to change our minds just to be empathetic to where someone else is coming from, even if there are limits to that, even if I can't fully put myself into the shoes of another and the experiences of another, to sort of take their experiences seriously as informing their worldview and, and then try and engage with that. And I think that would go quite a long way to helping us to all move forward together rather than just then sitting down and refusing to have a conversation or refusing to find something, a policy that might suit, you know, the majority or those most in need. So what can parents do to introduce their children to philosophy at an early age? 
So I think there's um, increasingly great resources online. I mean, there's one thing we can actually thank the pandemic for, if, if only this, is that there are so many more resources being shared online to support parents and teachers with all kinds of different subjects. And I think philosophy for children is one of those where there are great websites. You're based in Melbourne, so there's the Philosophy Club, there's the Victorian Association for Philosophy in Schools. Um, there's other great uh, links and, and classroom resources that, you know, parents can also make use of. There are some purposefully written books for children um, that are written by sort of philosophy and philosophy teachers. And a couple that have recently come across my desk are Undercover Robot by David Edmonds and The Philosophy Resistance Squad by Robert Grant. And these are contemporary, they're fun, but they've deliberately got some philosophical themes in them. And then the biggest trick after that is to have the conversation with the kids. You know, so either read them books with them or let them read the books and then talk to them about those ideas. Um, take their why questions seriously. And I think that, you know, instead of just having an attitude of, well, let's just find the answer to that, let's look up the answer, or that's just the way it is because the law says so or your teacher says so or I say so. Having a conversation which I guess focuses, you know, their question as the starting point. And there's some really great examples that can be used, you know, with the pandemic. Um, kids might be saying, well, you know, why, why do we have to wear masks if, if not everyone will get really sick or some people aren't wearing masks, why do I have to wear a mask? And recognising, like hearing that there's a philosophical or an ethical question in there that can be drawn out. So it can be, well, when should we sacrifice something important to ourselves or, or when not? Or why should we all do something just for the sake of, you know, a minority um, who might be adversely affected? So starting to hear that actually there's a really deep question behind whatever it is that they're asking. And it might even be that a kid says, oh, I wish I knew what my dog was thinking. And you can say, oh, you know, do, do you think dogs think? Do they think the same way as human beings think? Um, or is it different? And you're, you're doing philosophy of mind with your child right there and then. And even if they express it slightly differently, I've, I've spoken to kids, you know, as young as six and seven, who are coming up with some of the classic theories in philosophy, in philosophy of mind, in ethics, um, in aesthetics. Uh, they're coming up with some of the same theories that, you know, we study at university and, and, and talk about. So it's not that they can't do philosophy. They, they can. And it's just about listening to their questions and allowing that inquiry to unfold, to follow it as it unfolds. And it's okay not to know the answer. I think that's the other important thing. It's not that there has to be a right answer at the end that you're saying, oh, well, this is actually the right answer because philosophy doesn't really work that way. And we're exploring these ideas together. Could you explain the benefits of asking children philosophical questions? So I think we've touched on some of the benefits of, of this already. And um, I guess one of the first things is that I think it's not about the adult asking the philosophical questions. It's about realising that kids are asking philosophical questions and to draw those out and to engage with them. 
And then once we start to formalise that, if we're teaching kids ethics and philosophy, we're equipping them with skills that help them in life because we all go out into the world and face ethical questions, social political questions. Uh, you know, we have a, a dilemma about how do we be a good friend in, in certain situations or, you know, should we ever lie to someone in order to protect them? Um, or, you know, should we donate money to this charity and why? Or, you know, you've already given some other ones. Should we be vegetarian? But there's no subjects in school that particularly equip us to make those decisions or to think through our options in a methodological and reasonable way where we're weighing up what is the right thing to do. And often these dilemmas are tricky. There isn't one right answer. There's, you know, good and, and, and sort of difficult reasoning to happen on, on sort of both sides. Um, and usually there's more than two sides of the debate. And so philosophy has a history of a toolkit that's trying to help us make these kinds of decisions through rational argumentation, critical reflection, empathetic engagement, thinking about what is good for everyone, not just what I want to do in this moment. These kinds of skills are things that will really help us, I think, to, to live a good life. I mean, that's sort of the, the heart of, of this idea of, of why we do philosophy. And the other thing that I think philosophy for children draws out is that it's not just about thinking about these things in an abstract, theoretical way, even though that's important and a part of it, it's about actually practising it. So philosophy for children is usually linked to a pedagogy where kids sit in a circle, this community of inquiry, and they're all facing one another and they're having this dialogue where the teacher goes from being the person at the front of the room with the answers to being a facilitator of the dialogue. And so there's that power shift, the dynamic changes, and the kids are asking the questions and following the inquiry where it leads. And so they're practising that idea of listening, responding, respectful disagreement, changing their mind, um, empathetic engagement, collaborative uh, working out of these ideas and exploring questions together. And so it's the putting it into practice that I think is going to help us when we then have to do it ourselves in the world. What do you think the main difference is between philosophy for children and philosophy for adults? So I think that children are actually really good at philosophy. So I think there's um, a respect and, and an understanding that kids come up with really great ideas and they might not express it in this formal language of the philosophy for adults or the philosophy in the journals or the academy, but actually they're having these really interesting higher order questions and, um, and thinking skills. And so when we are doing philosophy with kids, I think one of the misconceptions is that it's just being philosophy watered down and that it's not real philosophy and that, you know, it's diminished in some way. And so I think that it's important to recognise and respect that when I'm having a conversation with eight-year-olds, I can still actually learn something from that. I can be amazed by some of their uh, examples and their thinking. So there's an epistemic humility there that I think is, is really important. And there's less um, competition in the sense of they're not necessarily just out to 
score points or, you know, have the strongest argument that defeats all the other arguments, which is sometimes what you see in philosophy departments. Sometimes there's this adversarial uh, approach to philosophy starting to change, I think, and, and that's a good thing. But when we're doing philosophy with children, it's more about the excitement and the wonder of the topic, of the question. And that's why it's also so important to start with their own questions because that's what they're particularly interested in. Um, and so there are some differences between philosophy for children and philosophy for adults. Um, but I think that, you know, when they're both done, you know, sort of at, at, at in the sort of best practice mode, there's some similarities, which again is really exciting that you, you can actually have a philosophical conversation with young children and certainly, you know, with high school children. And so it is happening increasingly in schools across Australia and across the world. Um, it's done in primary schools and in high schools. Sometimes it's incorporated into other subjects like, you know, it goes well into English literature using a dialogue um, around some narrative as, as a stimulus. Um, there's, but there are also some states now that are offering it as a non-compulsory uh, tertiary entrance exam subject. Um, so we see philosophy being done across schools and the schools that do it, the kids that do it, there's very positive reports back as to the effects of, of studying philosophy. And it's not just because, oh, you're going to get a job as a philosopher. It's because of, uh, you know, the enjoyment of it and, and how it helps you to think about the world and to engage with others. How do you think that philosophy prepares children for life? So people who support philosophy for children want it to mean that we end up with critical, caring, collaborative citizens, that we end up with these ideal citizens. And one of the things that we need to look more at, and, and, we're, and it's starting to happen, but as I said, philosophy for children is actually a fairly new area of research, but we need to look a bit more about how existing power dynamics influence those conversations. And so much like some of the other research that's done in education and actually philosophy departments themselves are having to increasingly, you know, look at this kind of question, whose voices are prioritised, which voices are diminished or missed out. Um, and we need to think about how philosophy can be more inclusive. Uh, I think one of the great things about your radio show is you've already said, I want to bring out those voices and those subjects that are on the margins of philosophy and of academic philosophy and give more space to exploring them and to hearing those voices speak. And I think that's so important. And I think that it can be done starting from this young age, from you know thinking about how the dynamics of a community of inquiry work, where a lot of the theory talks about what I would call an ideal community of inquiry where everyone's equal, everyone gets a chance to speak, everyone is respectfully heard. But the dynamics and the politics of every classroom or every group has to be taken into consideration if we're going to think of the real world scenario. And so teachers are really mindful of that. They know their own classes. They can, you know, think about this and see um, how this practice, this pedagogy helps to have voices heard that aren't otherwise heard. Um, it gives a chance for different voices to be voiced and, and responded to and taken seriously and listened to. And so then 
that can happen in a philosophy classroom and be transformative and amazing. And then the second question is, how can that become habitual or a practice that extends beyond the classroom and beyond the one hour community of inquiry per week into the playground, into life, into the community, into society? And so there's an idealism there about, you know, the ultimate goal, but it is about sort of having this as a practice that becomes something that we do all the time. And, and that's difficult. And I think that, you know, education is always aiming for that. And so we're starting to recognise where there's power differentials and, you know, trying to think how can we include those voices more. And I guess in terms of philosophy in academia, I hope that if we start this from that younger age, not only does it help people in the world, but it'll help people to become, you know, to get philosophy to be more diverse as well and to hopefully have philosophy be more valued. You know, we're seeing the axing of a lot of funds and uh, philosophy departments, not just around the world, but particularly in Australia. And this is a real shame if, if we're not seeing the value of philosophy. Uh, and so I think that these, this is how we build it back up again as we go back to grassroots level and build it up. Well, it's been great having you on the program. And I've been speaking with Dr. Laura Delimpio about philosophy for children. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed the program. And do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.